Just a quick note before we get started, we had some trouble with our recording. As soon as we got done, we realized it had cut it into three parts. We did it on Skype, and that's never happened before, and we didn't know till afterwards. So we did the best we could with it in editing and kind of had to piece these things together. And there was Kayla's grade missing, part of my grade missing, and part of what Ray was saying about Chapter 6 missing. I jump in here in the first few minutes and point out when that's happening so it doesn't sound like it's just random conversations picking up out of nowhere. It all happens within the first 10 or so minutes, and then the last 45 to 50 minutes are all clear. So just wanted to point that out before we get started. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to America's Readers Book Club podcast. I'm Jacob Doyle, and here to wrap up our 2019 podcast schedule for part three of Billion Dollar Ball by Gilbert M. Gall are Kayla Ruberg and Ray Ruberg. We're finishing up our book today, so give us a follow on Twitter at America's Readers to stay up on the podcast while we're away over the winter. And let's bring in our guests and get this thing rolling. Kayla Ruberg, with our week off in between podcasts, how did you decide to break down this last section of the reading? Well, I wasn't necessarily excited to uh, continue my reading with the book, but I um, I gave myself a week off, and then I, I read the rest of it over this, this weekend. Ray, uh, Ruberg, it's it's co- real college football season now. We're not just reading books about it. and We actually had a game last night on Saturday night, so we're rocking and rolling with other podcasts, the Power Five cast. So are you ready to put this book behind us, or how did you feel here in the last section? Uh, yeah, I'm glad that the book is over, and I'm also glad that co- the college football season is upon us. So um, not sure which one I'm more glad about, but both good, <laughs> both good things. Okay, well, I I figured for this one, since we all, I think, felt pretty similarly from start to finish about the book, we usually do our grades last, but I think we'll start with them this time, because that might kind of determine how the discussion goes. So, for just the overall book grade, now that we're finished with it, Ray, do you want to kick us off with that and let us know what your grade was and just sort of how you felt about it, and then we can go in since it's only two chapters, and that'll kind of decide how how we proceed. Yeah, so... um... I, I guess just to kick it off, my book grade is a D. I, I think if you are an anti-college football person or hate the Power Five and the big money that's gone into college football, you would probably love this book. You would just sit there nodding and agreeing the entire time. Um, I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum. And I tried to take that into account while I was grading the book of, of am I grading his anti-college view or am I grading the actual book but I I think it's fair to give it a D in that the investigation felt more like a hit piece as opposed to an actual investigation of big-time college football Um, there's definitely things that you can hold against big-time college football but it seemed like he went out of his way to twist every narrative into an anti-college football argument Um, Even when there's a chance to look at some of the positive sides of things in terms of, you know, maybe giving kids who who wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to go to college or to be um, getting a degree, giving them an opportunity and every chance they can to achieve those goals. He he saw that as a negative. I kind of view that as a positive. The only reason I really gave it a D is there were a couple points that he brought up that I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, the one being the, ta- the tax deductibility of the entire system, which has now changed, but um, that was that was a good note on his part there. 
the fact that athletic departments are foundations and, and not necessarily associated directly with the university or part of the university budget, but they kind of operate on their own. So, you know, a, a few things that that were kind of new to me, but overall, I think he just kind of he, he laid out what I already knew that big time college football and the power five conferences make a ton of money off college football. And that ultimately funds a lot of their other athletic programs, which I think is a good thing, but not in his view. And, and I was disappointed that he didn't touch on what I thought his purpose of the book was, is how the college football culture impacted the academic side of the school. He, he kind of touched the surface of it here and there, but never really dug into it more deeply. So I would have liked to seen a, a, a bigger link there and a, and a more unbiased investigation that kind of presented both sides of, of the coin. Okay, so this is the part of the podcast where we had so much of our trouble with the audio. Really apologize. We missed Kayla's grade. She gave it a D and it cut off a lot of my grade. I gave it an F. So we'll just pick up here where the audio picked back up. We had a little trouble with the recording and didn't know it until afterwards. So uh, we'll just pick up right here in the middle of my grade. Again, apologize. We didn't realize it until after we were done recording. I wish. He would have gone in with this idea and then got into his research and said, you know what? Actually, like Ray, you said, they're funding all these other sports and they're actually making money. And Kayla, kind of how you were talking about, we don't totally know, especially for the big ones, if they're making a ton of money, they're not taking money from the academic side of things. They're getting private donations for these athletic centers and stuff. So I wish he kind of would have stopped himself and said, you know what? I, I've, I talked about Florida Atlantic, Florida Tech. South Carolina Upstate, Towson State, Akron, Eastern Michigan, New Mexico State. He, he just mentioned those in passing, but didn't really go into detail. And those are the schools, as it turns out, that I wish he would have focused on more. And I found that much more interesting in the, in the sports that lose money and sort of how does Title IX impact these other scholarships and these schools that are now cutting other men's sports to keep football afloat. I would have been a lot more interested in the book if it would have been that kind of take on everything. But he just seems so blinded and so slanted where he, Ray, like you said, it was like a college football hit piece. And he just wouldn't allow himself to see anything positive about it. And I, I just, I wish at some point, it, it just even if it was one chapter, he would have said, you know, here's a different way you can look at it. Or here's how some people can look at it. Some people consider this to be a good thing. But he was just so indignant the whole time and just so peeved and put off. It just wasn't really enjoyable because his overall tone and it was just one note the whole time. And I was just by the, the end of it was just rolling my eyes like, yeah, dude, we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. And it just never changed up and it never veered from that. So I found it really frustrating and I, I give my grade based on, you know, this is the seventh book we've done for the podcast. So I compared to all of those, this is by far the worst. And then also I just, I, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone because I wouldn't even know who to recommend it to. I, a, a sports fan isn't going to enjoy this and somebody who is not a sports fan isn't going to want to read about the inner workings of, of big money college football. And at the end of the day, I just didn't really see his point where yeah, I know that these big schools make a lot of money, but I'm, I'm failing to see why that's a problem, I guess. So I don't know. That's that's kind of where I came out. And I'm glad we, we kind of all talked about that before up front here, because like I said, it's only two chapters the rest of the way. So we can kind of just pick and choose from here. Chapter six, we can get into that. It was basically it was called how women's rowing saved college football. 
and he loves women's rowing and couldn't be more positive about that. And I don't know if you guys want to get into that now and just kind of talk about that chapter and just some of the things that stood out to you on his take on how he viewed what women's rowing does for college football and how that all works out. Yeah. My, uh, my first thought is as I, as I was listening to the audio book and all of a sudden it, it rolled into chapter six, how women's rowing saved college football kind of <laughs> caught me by surprise. It's like, um, Oh wow. Okay. Let's, I'm interested to hear how women's rowing saved college football. We had more recording difficulties here. So we'll just pick up where Ray was talking about college football and women's rowing. I guess my, my thought would be, especially if the football program is is operating you know well and, and making money for the school it wouldn't necessarily be the football program that went away it would be the other men's sports that they would eliminate first so I don't know and and, and on top of that the college football teams are are funding these other sports too so I don't think it it's a weird way to look at it that it saved college football but you, you know it, it it all comes back to the title nine uh, issue of having equal opportunity for the men and women student athletes. Well, I don't, you said issue of Title IX. I don't necessarily see it as an issue. And to Gall's point of women's rowing saved college football is that a lot of these teams have a hundred plus players on their football team. You know, I think he mentioned some of them have like 127, 130. And so, so that they could keep their deep ranks of players and keep training them and providing scholarships for all of them, they needed to have a large women's sport. And it's actually, I thought, very smart on the universities, and Gall points it out as well, women's rowing is fairly inexpensive to some of the other sports that could have been offered. So I, I don't... I don't disagree with Title IX. I think Title IX is a great thing, and I really liked um, the quote by B.B. Bryan uh, in the book where she says, my whole take on Title IX is that it would be great if everybody did the right thing because it was the right thing to do, but I'll take what it is because look look at all these women that they've brought into the school and the program and are now athletes. Yeah, I just sort of, it almost seems the way that this chapter is titled how women's rowing saved college football. Like it's almost making fun of women's rowing because it's so clearly just almost set up as like a scam. And, but it's, it's weird the way it's just like a loophole basically. I mean, they, none of these schools actually care about women's rowing. They talk about how their coaches will just walk up to random girls on campus and say, Hey, you look like you could use a rowing scholarship. And these people have never even been in a, in a boat in their lives. And all of a sudden they're scholarship D one athletes. And it just seems so bizarre to me that Gaul is just all about it and talking about how it's basically like the pure college sports and it's what college sports should be all about and stuff. But I think it was Wisconsin. He was talking about, they lose multi millions of dollars every year but he doesn't seem to have a problem with it if it's coming out of the, the football department, if it's coming out of their pocket. But if, if a football program loses $2.3 million, he'd be losing his mind because then they can't fund all the other sports and they have to take it from either he was talking about student fees or rising tuition, which, again, focus on that all day long because I, I wouldn't have a problem with him being upset about that either. But it's just weird how row, women's rowing can just be basically the sham sport that's set up. It's people who aren't even athletes who are just given scholarships 
and just turned into rowers just so they can basically fudge the numbers. And he's looking at it as it's, this is like the beauty of sports and what it's all about. I, I thought that was just kind of bizarre because, you know, my sister rode at K state as it turns out. And that's where he, she was just on the club team, but she knew a lot of those people. And it was like, they, none of them rode. None of them did went to K state to row. They didn't even know what it was. And they were just randomly approached on campus, kind of how he was talking about. So it's just weird to me how he champions giving scholarships away for that when the, the people haven't really even done anything to deserve it, but he's so worried about football players not deserving what they get. I don't, I don't know. It just seemed kind of strange to me that it's just, is he so anti-college football that he'll pump up anything else if it takes down football or if football has to fund it? Or I, I don't know. I didn't really know where he was coming from with his just, I mean, he was practically giddy about women's rowing. Well, I think to... And not that I agree with Gall, but I think the point that he's trying to make here is in previous chapters, he was talking about how ridiculous it is that they're spending so much money on tutors and um, the people to walk them to class to make sure that they get there on time. And these students don't aren't even able to read and have poor ACT scores and are receiving all this money where other students who have worked their butts off to get into school and achieve those levels are receiving nothing or smaller scholarships. So I think he's a champion of this because these women are, they have the smarts and everything to get into the school in the first place and they're receiving something for it as well. Yeah, I would say the difference between the two, though, is that the the students receiving the tutors and, and the, having the class checkers walk into class and everything are actually self-funded for the schools he chose to discuss. Now, again, if he would have gone to the gone to into more depth on the Florida Atlantics and the smaller schools that were losing money, that's a different conversation. But he he chose not to here. Um, one thing I, I looked up, Jake, and maybe you know more since MK was a was a rower. Um, it looks like the typical rowing team has a varsity eight, a second varsity eight, a varsity four team, and that's like the standard, I guess, twenty person team. And then some additional schools also offer novice eight, which Kansas State does. He mentions in the book, and then also some smaller versions with like pairs and lightweight racing. So uh, it sounds to me like anywhere from maybe 25 to 50 rowers that that would actually compete in meets. Um, and, and then they have other women in the programs to, to build and replenish the ranks and whatnot. I would say similar to how a football team might have 85 scholarship players. Not all 85 are going to get in every game. Um, but, you know, 35 of them or whatever are freshmen and sophomores that will be ready to step into playing roles the following year. So I was just trying to get a feel for the numbers he was throwing out in terms of having a hundred or 125 women on a rowing team. Was that ridiculously high or is that what was needed to actually field a rowing team? It, it, it seems like it's probably a little bit high, but maybe not that outlandish. If you are one of these schools that, that compete in, you know, the five, six, seven different, uh, competitions and then also at the at the the normal weight and then the lightweight racing yeah I don't know the exact numbers I did go to some of the meets though and again she was in in the club version of it so she wasn't on scholarship but 
some of the teams would have multiple boats per race. So even if it was like the, the eight person boat then, or the four person, whatever you, you like Kansas state might have two of those in like the, the eight boat race or something like that. So that also beefs up the numbers a little bit. I don't know on the scholarship side, if it's like that too, but I think what you, when you compare it to football, how not everybody gets in the game, I think it's probably a lot like that, but I don't know. I, I yeah, so, it, so I think some of the numbers he was thrown out in terms of how many women try out and how many women make the team and, and those types of things that without giving that perspective of how many people would be on a, how many uh, people would be on a rowers would be on a typical team. You kind of lose the perspective of it. Is that truly a, a lot? Are they really just inflating these numbers or is that about how many should be on a team? Well, he mentions that they are inflating the numbers because he says that they turn in their count to the Title IX uh, during tryouts and then most of those people drop off. They're, they don't even expect them to say because they can't handle the physicality of the sport. Yeah. Well, just, uh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 go ahead. No, I, I, I think it's inflate. I think that's exactly right. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't really think we were going to be getting into this in this book. And my thought on Title IX, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I do wish that it would apply more to the sports where there's men's and women's. Like football, in my opinion, should be its own animal because it doesn't have a match. Like, you know, you could have softball and baseball. You can have men's and women's of basically every single sport, but there is no women's football. So to hold all the other men's sports down because you have to account for football just seems a little off to me. And so it, it, that's sort of my issue with rowing. And I still don't totally get, I mean, I, I guess I get that he's happy that these are real students, but they're not athletes. So I, I don't understand how he can say that that's what college sports is all about. I, I don't know. I, well, I, they are athletes. They turn them into athletes. And it talks about how he goes to most, or most of the coaches go to like all the high schools and they get the volleyball or the basketball girls that aren't necessarily good for division one, but would be really good rowers with some training. Yeah, I guess it's just strange to me that you can get a division one scholarship to, to perform in a sport. I mean, it's like you've never have had to do it in your entire life and here's scholarship money to do it on the D one level. It's just so bizarre to me. I, I just can't think of any other legitimate sport where you can get a scholarship like that. I mean, it seems like you, you have to, I mean, you're, you're that. making a great point there. I mean, I, I do agree with you on that, that it's pretty fantastic that you can get all of your, um, but we don't know how big these scholarships are. Like he never mentions if it's uh, full academics, books and living, like he never says the size of the scholarships. Yeah. I wish he would get more into that. Cause I, it honestly like strikes me as insulting a little bit in a way where if you're, I don't know, a volleyball player or a basketball player or a golfer, whatever sport, and you have been working at it to get this college scholarship. And then someone who just, just happens to be standing on campus and you is the right size. It's like, Hey, you, how about a division one scholarship? Well, so I think he does mention like, uh, well, one of the coaches, I forget which school it was, but one of the coaches says that for her freshman coming in, the biggest scholarship that she'll offer is covering the book fees and then if they decide to stick with the rowing um, down the line years later, then they'll start offering bigger scholarships. So I don't think they're really getting much 
I think the way it works is is um, and I don't this number is just made up, but let's say the rowing team gets fifty scholarships that they can hand out. They're allowed this, you know, it's that's basically fifty full ride scholarships um, dollar wise that they can then give out to the student athletes. So they could they could give a hundred girls uh, half scholarships or you know, 200 girls, 25% scholarships, however that you want to break the math down or, or, you know, parcel it out. Like Kayla said, the freshmen might only get, you know, 10% and then the upperclassmen get more. But um, I, I think the, the coaches get some leeway on how they divvy it out and it doesn't have to be a full ride or nothing. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it has to be that way. I just, I, I find it so odd that it, it I don't know. It's just, seems sort of like it's clearly a loophole and it's like I mean, we're not allowed to talk about it football needs to be within the title nine i mean it's i so i do disagree with you on there but and i don't think it needs to be for the same sports uh such as men's baseball women's softball things like that because i mean there's just some sports that you know women may not be interested in in that area of the world or whatever you know it's just i don't think it has to be the same and i i mean i don't necessarily disagree with how it's running right now i mean football to gall's point football has like just grown astronomically but he where i think he's wrong is he's blaming football instead of i mean i don't blame football for accepting all this these deals and taking all of this money and paying more and offering scholarships. I don't blame them for taking advantage of the market that is out there. There's just not a market for as much of a market for women's rowing or women's basketball or things like that. It's that's just the way that it is. I mean, women's sports has grown in the last couple of years, especially with like the USA team doing very well and, uh, women's golf has really improved um, over the last couple of years, but it's just a known fact that football is prime time and that's the main sport that everyone's interested in. And I don't blame them for taking advantage of that. I just. Uh, well, I, I think I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, I do agree 100% that there's more of a market for football. I don't think anyone can argue that point. There's. TV deals for billions of dollars now going on in, in the power five schools are all getting 30 plus million dollars from their own TV networks a year. What I, I guess what I would argue or what Gall is arguing is that that's bad. College football is ruining the spirit of college athletics. And what he refuses to acknowledge is that college football is subsidizing every other athletic sport that takes place at these big time universities and in you know the title nine is fine let's let's allow both men and women to be student athletes and and to enjoy that um, aspect of college but don't don't get mad at college football you should be thanking college football they're the ones that are are allowing this all to happen yeah, that's exactly where I'm coming from. It, it's just this would have been a perfect opportunity for him to at least acknowledge exactly what you're saying and at least appreciate, okay, well, while I did point out all these things that I don't like about it, it does make all of these other things possible. Uh, you know, women's rowing does get this many scholarships and they do, they can run 
at negative two point three million dollars because of college football. But it, he can't he can't allow himself to be in a position where he he says that. And I guess that's why it just rubs me the wrong way and why he can't he just can't bring himself to do it. He can't give any credit to college football under any circumstance because that's not what he set out to do when he was writing this book. It's just so strange to me. He can just be so excited about something that's losing money and hate something so much that makes money. But I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this chapter? Do you want to move on to chapter seven? Or what do you guys think? I mean, my last thought on it is, you know, and Gall has made several points to this with the smaller universities, football teams. And he, I think he just hates that money's involved. Basically he wants for the love of the game, just to be about the game. He doesn't want entertainment. He doesn't want any of the extra things that go along with it. He just wants the game. And that's just, it's never going to be that way. I just, with football, I mean, I just, you, the, what's the saying? The toothpaste is already out of the tube. You can't put it back in. It's just never going to be that way. Yeah, exactly. My thoughts that, yeah, I I agree completely. And he just, he's kind of a tyrant in a way about it where he has his idea of how it should be. And is just going to rail on anything that isn't his exact view because he believes he's so right about it. I, I don't know. Well, he gets angry. He's angry with players and coaches for being excited for being prime time. And yeah. It's not necessary. I, I do, Jake, want to give props to Bebe Bryans, the um, rowing coach that went to Michigan State, and then I think she ended up at, at Wisconsin. She seems like she was an awesome coach or continues to be an awesome coach winning national championships and building programs out of nothing. So. That was an interesting little tidbit to see how good she was at her job. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, if you guys are ready then for chapter seven, it's called how college presidents fumbled reform. So I don't know. The second half of this, I was kind of just spacing out because honestly, I just wanted to be done with the book and we can combine this part with the epilogue. The, The part that stood out to me was about conference realignment. And there was just one thing that where I just again was like, I don't know what you're getting at because he was talking about how Maryland, it was the death of loyalty and tradition for them to leave for the money and basically was saying that they were sellouts for going to the Big Ten. And he seemed to be perturbed by the fact that they were going to the Midwest instead of staying on the East Coast, which also says a lot about where he's from and how he looks at things because he just hates people from the South and the Midwest. But it it was – he basically treats Maryland as their sellouts and they they're following the money. And like, again, exactly like the death of loyalty and tradition was exactly what he called it. And so then he's talking about conference realignment and talks about how the PAC 10 turned into the PAC 12 and added Colorado and Utah. And so he it's, they're basically part of that too, where they're selling out and they're doing it for the money. But what I found strange is he framed the argument. So he was going to win no matter what, because Utah came from the Mountain West and Boise State also tried to get in from the Mountain West, but they took Utah over Boise State. And so Utah bad because they became a power five team. But then Boise State, he feels sorry for them. And he goes on and on trying to, to, to fight for them and stick up for them and talking about how good of a football program they are and goes on even talking about redistribution of wealth in college football and how Congress needs to get involved and limit salaries and spending. And my whole thing is, he hates the power five. 
So why is he fighting so hard for these other schools to get the money? Because when, when Maryland did that, he basically called him a sellout. So it, it just seems weird to me. So it's like, which way do you want it? Because, you know, Utah did get into the Pac-12. Boise State didn't, so he's on Boise State's side. But if it was flipped and if they would have taken Boise State over Utah, then all of a sudden he'd be chastising Boise State and Utah would be the, the one he'd be sticking up for. So it's just almost any way you slice it, you just automatically know because of the one lens and the one note he and his one tone throughout the whole book, exactly how he's going to look at it. And it's situations like this where it's like, well, which way do you want it, man? Because you're saying these sellouts and these people who are all about the money are so bad, but then you're fighting for that for a school that didn't have that opportunity. So it's really honestly seems like it's not about the money. He just wishes everybody else had it and operated the way he wanted them to. So I don't know. That kind of fell flat for me because any way you frame it, he was going to be able to make that point. He definitely thinks that the money should be equally distributed across all of the colleges. Um, there's no other way to put that. But with his argument of Colorado and Utah over Boise State, his thing there, at least to his point, he was that he, they had a winning record, and Colorado and Utah had both losing records over the past several years and Boise State got overlooked. But looking into the opponents that they were playing, I mean, they're not even playing the same caliber of team, so it's just not even a comparison. So, I mean, that's what he did not point out in his argument of why Boise State was not chosen. Yeah, I mean, Colorado was coming from the Big 12, and, you know, since this book came out, Utah has been the best team probably in the Pac-12 South, them in USC, so they've clearly been able to elevate themselves and they were just in the PAC 12 championship game last year. And they're the favorites in the PAC 12 South now. Yeah. But again, it just, he had a problem with it because it had to do with TV viewers and getting the bigger markets. But again, why I don't, I don't understand why that's such a problem. He just frames it as, well, this is obviously a problem and he identifies what they're doing and says it's a problem. And it's kind of the, the overall theme of the book. And it's, it's like, okay, yes, you're identifying that this is what they're doing and you are calling it a problem because that's your opinion. But I fail to see why that's a problem. Why, why would it be so bad for the PAC 12 to try to get Denver and Salt Lake city markets so that when they make their TV deal, they can get as much money as they can so they can keep competing with these other conferences. I, I don't know. I, it's right. just, it's and a completely fund different. their sports programs and not have to pull money away from the universities. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, I don't know. It kind of, it honestly kind of comes down to like capitalism versus socialism. I mean, he wants it to run and everybody, no matter how much you make, you just all get the same amount anyway. And everybody has to share everything rather. I mean, it, he's naive. It's way more cutthroat than that. And everybody's always going to try and get an edge. And Kayla, like you were saying, you don't put that toothpaste back in the tube. So you better look out for yourself or else, you know, you're going to drown. So of course they're looking out in their own best interest. So I, it just fell flat for me that he's even talking about that. And just the fact that he questions loyalty and tradition and stuff like that, it's like, oh, spare me, man. Come on. Yeah, and then he goes into, um, you know, the other piece of this chapter was talking about how the presidents formed the Knight Commission and they tried to figure out amongst themselves how to fix the so-called problem in – uh, I think that happened and then a number of years went by and, and it still didn't fix it. And the presidents kind of got back together and determined that they couldn't fix it on their own. And then they tried to think that the athletic uh, directors would be able to fix it for them. 
Um, and this ultimately ultimately leads him to going and visiting uh, Holden Thorpe, who was the president of North Carolina at the time their scandal went down. And this was the part. I, I don't know. Where if I, I fell asleep. <laughs> no, I was going to say this is the part I actually found most interesting. And I don't know if it if I found it most interesting or if it's just the part that kind of got me riled up the most. Um, because he portrays Holden Thorpe as this this great guy, you know, ac- just a huge academic his entire life, didn't care about sports one bit, enjoyed the well, theater. He's a, he's a fan, but he doesn't play. He's really not even much of a fan. He didn't even want to go to the games. He likes North Carolina basketball. But... Um, but ultimately, he just cared about the academic side of things. And so he meets with Holden Thorpe for, for three hours. He got to talk to him and talks about how disappointed he was in the uh, Holden Thorpe talks about how disappointed he was in the university and how they had lied to themselves for the last 50 years because they had never had an NCAA violation. But in retrospect, football and basketball players were taking these bogus classes and getting help from tutors. And that's the only reason they were passing. What fails to come up is that the when, upon investigation, what was actually uncovered is that this was a, a systematic issue within the university as a whole, that not only were football and basketball players receiving these benefits of bogus classes where you never had to attend, you never had to turn in papers, but the everyday student also was receiving those favors as well. And that's why the NCAA penalty that came down on the athletic program was not as harsh because it wasn't an athletic thing. It was an entire university thing. And who oversaw the entire university, especially the academic side, Holden Thorpe. But instead of challenging him on on why he didn't have better oversight on the academic side of things, why didn't he know what was going on in all these classes that the teachers were offering or actually not offering? Why, why, why not hold him accountable? Instead, he talks about how Holden Thorpe basically tucks his tail and runs to a D3 school where he can focus on a- academics. Um, Holden Thorpe appears to take zero responsibility and, and just leaves town. This, this whole part of, of the chapter drove me crazy because it had nothing to do with impermissible benefits to the athletes. It had nothing to do with pain players or, or you know, steroids or any other things that would, you know, rock a, a athletic department. It had everything to do with the academic side. And for some reason, the president who oversees the academic side is, is getting a free pass here. And I think this speaks to his, like, lack of research into things. He's so blindsided and he's so, he has such an axe to grind with football that he doesn't even consider that just regular academic students could be taking these classes as well. I mean, he just, he, he didn't bring that up at all. He probably still to this day has no idea that that actually happened. Yeah, that definitely didn't fit what he was trying to get into this book and get it, get out with the message that he was trying to send here. So it's just it probably didn't even come across his radar. I mean, I, I don't think it's as much. He just that's not what he was out for in this book. So, yeah, that's a really good point, though. I mean, I, I like I said, when I was getting to this part, I was saw the finish line and I was just sort of halfway in, halfway out. So I'm glad you broke that down more, Ray. 
And the, the other thing just in this chapter too, is we talked a little bit about it and I just, I, I wish to God that he would have spent more time on this and just made a whole section of the book, honestly, because he talks about Towson state and how they lose money on football, South Carolina upstate, they lose money on football and they get bailed out because they, use student fees and rising tuition to yeah. fund their football program. These and are it's the like, schools that I have a problem yes, with. Yes, exactly. Is. It's like, this is your book. I mean, yeah. figure out what these schools need to do and write about this. I mean, I would be so interested to, I mean, because it really is a quandary. I'm not, like, I don't know what you do. I, I mean, you might have to cut your football program or I, I don't know. I, I, I wish he would have spent more time on this and gone into this and said, this is, I mean, he's so focused on schools that are making $80 million a year and profit and, and how that's so evil and wrong. But it's like, well, what about the ones that aren't doing that? And he brings up their names, but and spends a little bit of time talking about New Mexico State, but and you know, how the, their students, they, they don't get as much student support. But it, he doesn't really crunch the numbers and go in deep. And it's like, okay, so what are the nuts and bolts of how this actually works out? Because I would have been really interested in how South Carolina Upstate or Towson State or, you know, how kind of we talked about, even Florida Atlantic and these group of five schools, any anything non-Power 5 or even lower in the FCS, how do you survive? How do you have a football program? How does that work? And And we don't get a lot he kind of just scratches the surface and says yeah they lose money and here's what they do and it's like i thought this would be the part where he'd be losing his mind but he he saved all of that for the texases and alabamas of the world and i mean he was way more upset with oregon's athletic academic center that was from donor money that was a hundred million dollars to build he was way more upset about that than he is about the sports that lose money and the schools that their football programs, which are supposed to be the, the flagship athletic program, you know, for their university. I, I mean, like he was even saying in the first chapter, it's the front porch of the university. So if those are the ones bleeding money, I, I got, I just, I wish we would have got more of that. Well, and to add on to what you're saying, I mean, these are the presidents that are making the decisions for the student fees and tuitions to go toward their losing athletics. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous that they're making this decision to, for that to happen. Yeah, and, I, and honestly, you know, if he if he tries to sell a book on Townsend State and South Carolina Upstate, it's, it's probably not going to get published. But my guess is he doesn't have to dig too far outside of the Power Five to find some decently big-name programs that are still losing money. Right, well, and... You know, it's it's just crazy to me that these presidents are getting away with the idea of, well, we're hopeful that we're going to build the fan base and eventually be able to be a part of this Power Five yeah. and touch on some of this money. Not every school is going to be able to be a part of the Power Five. I mean, that's going to... It's, they've already talked about the Pac-12 is not accepting any more schools right now. They may expand in the future, but not right now. Or things like that. So it's just at some point, some of these smaller universities have to decide, you know, if it's worth it to have these bigger football programs. Like not every school is going to have a big football program. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and Ray, I agree with what you're saying too. Like it, it, it wouldn't have the book wouldn't have been published if it was all about these schools. But I just wish that he wouldn't have been. I mean, I, I keep using this but he, he really did just have one he just looked at it one way through one lens 
And so he got so tied down trying to do this hit piece on the big college football. I wish he would have been able to be unbiased and objective enough as he was going through his research to say, hold on, I'm going to take a left turn for three chapters. And instead of getting to know the personalities behind some of these athletic directors and where they were born and getting to know the women's rowing coaches. And I, I wish he would have said, I'm going to take these two or three chapters and just really go in into detail. You know, he's like I said, he spent all that time talking about Oregon's athletic academic center, but I just, I, I needed more. I needed more. It, it can be in the same book. Yeah. I just wish I wish he would have been able as he was going through his research. Like I said, it, it really does remind me of as if he was like investigating a crime and already came up with his suspect before he saw any of the evidence. And I wish he would have been able to look at it from start to finish and say, you know what? I'm going to write a book about college football. I don't know where it's going to lead because I think if he would have been more open minded about it, it would have led him down that road at some point. And it could like I said, it could even be within the same book, but he just didn't allow for that and just sort of mentioned it in passing instead. Well, and. The one thing that kind of like a final thought for me, I mean, I know we still have more to discuss, but when our daughter gets old enough to go to college, I'm going to really look into like what all these student fees and stuff are going to, you know, I and women's rowing <laughs> and women's rowing. Yeah. If they're offering scholarships, we know that if you uh, <laughs> just take some pictures and put it in a, put her in a rowboat, she'll get into USC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the way to go. Um, so, yeah, that a lot of that is chapter seven. I don't I didn't make any notes for the epilogue because, like I said, I was banging my head against the wall repeatedly just watching the timer run down on the audiobook until the book was over. So was there anything that stood out to you guys? Have we gotten into that at all? Was that more of the, the stuff about North Carolina? No, that was the end of chapter seven. The, the epilogue, he went back to Oregon to talk about the athletic center that they built and how lavish it was and how much money they spent, which was zero because Phil Knight actually donated all the money for it. it, it he kind of jumped around a little bit in the epilogue, actually. He talks about how uh, the NCAA passed a rule to allow stipends of up to $5,000 for college football players, which I don't recall that happening. So I don't know if he was thinking that that was just, you know, on the working in or in the works. Um, he, he mentions in passing the Northwestern players trying to unionize and, and become employees so that they could get paid. Um, and so so spends a little bit of time basically on the on the football players and basketball players trying to push their way into into getting some money out of the the big money culture of of college football and college basketball um and ultimately determines that in his view they're already getting paid enough between scholarships tutors travel swag at at bowl games and so forth and so on which i actually don't necessarily disagree with him on i i i think i don't know if they necessarily get their fair share their fair cut of the pie but the people who act like they don't get anything. They're getting a free education. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, he puts numbers to it here in the book um, a couple different times of somewhere between a dollars and $200,000 per student athlete when you factor in the college tuition, the housing, the food, the books, the tutors, the travel, the bowl game uh, paraphernalia that they get. It's, it's, you know, it's not like they're getting nothing for, for playing football. Um, but he touches on that briefly. 
Well, yeah, and Kayla, it's kind of like how you said last episode where it, it's really it's what you want to do for entertainment, like on weekends if you go out. That's the only thing that you would need any money for. And I, I, I do wonder, is the stipend, is that sort of – I know when you go on a road trip, you get a cash allowance every day you're on the trip. So is that what the stipend is included in where the coaches kind of control that money and just peel it off at certain times? Because I know when John played Division One baseball, that's my brother for the listeners – when they were on road trips, they would get, I forget what it was. I mean, it was like 40 bucks a day or something. And yeah, so maybe. like when they were getting off the bus, the, the coaches would just literally hand them cash. So, and, and that's not, that wasn't illegal to do. So I wonder if the stipend has something to do with that, where like, that's what the payment would be. I don't know. Yeah, it may be. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I know obviously the paying college athletes discussion has been going on now for a number of years. Um, I hadn't heard anything to that level of being passed. Uh, the other thing he touch, touches on is is he talked to the Pac-12 and Big Ten commissioners, Jim Delaney, and and I don't know what the Pac-12's name, uh, commissioner's name is. Scott. Larry Scott. Larry Scott, yeah. And um, just asked him if they thought the college football bubble would ever burst, and they basically laughed in his face and said, we just, we just signed, you know, billions of dollars worth of tv deals over however many years our our big 10 network and pac-12 networks have grown exponentially from you know 10 years ago we were paying out four million dollars to each university we're now paying out you know 30 million for the pac-12 and 50 million for the big 10 to to each university which is crazy um in in there's a market for it. Yeah, and Gaul's viewpoint was that well, eventually this bubble is going to burst because um, he basically took a dig at millennials. Said because the younger the, this younger generation has a short attention span because of, they grew up on PlayStation and F Xbox, and they don't have the loyalty to the universities that their parents and grandparents had. So they're going to just stop going to the games and basically be addicted to their phones. We already saw it with the Pac-12 talking about doing 9 a.m. kickoffs. That's not for the students and not for the people who actually attend the game. So they, they decided not to do that this season, but they're floating it out there. So that shows that they're already starting to pivot off of that, and it has everything to do with TV. I mean, I, I think the SEC's deal with ESPN is through like 2034 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, so they're locked up for 15 more years before they even have to discuss anything. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's no wonder they're not – worried about it right now i mean maybe someday down the line but yeah i mean and that that's also why the pac-12 doesn't want to expand or why none of these conferences do is because all that money is locked in place in their tv deal and mm -hmm. those schools would have to give up an extra piece of the pie to the newcomers where it would be you know we're splitting this tv deal 12 ways in the pac-12 but if we had boise state and someone else all of a sudden we're cutting it 14 ways and the schools aren't willing to take that step backwards right and then he does mention, lastly, that um, that uh, somebody in Congress did bring up kind of the, the spending on college athletics and, and how do we curb this and, and how is it impacting the universities and the, you know, what the institutions are supposed to stand for. Um, and he doesn't really take it anywhere except the fact that it was brought up on the Congress floor. The one piece I thought was funny is is the congressman who brought it up said we need to go out to these universities and we need to demand that they show us all of their 
athletic department budgets and what they spend on. And Gall's like, well, actually, they, they do that already. They report that all to the NCAA, and you just need to go to their website. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, 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 at the very end of it, I thought was appropriate how he was flipping through college football games, and it was just too many on TV, and he was so overwhelmed, which I don't know why he couldn't just pick the game he wanted to watch and just watch one game if that's what he wanted to do. But it, he just got so overwhelmed by it because there was too much going on. So he got bored and decided to watch a movie instead because he could just get the highlights later. And it's like, yep, there you go. That sums right. it up. College, college football Saturday does not mean the same thing to him as it does to all the people that he can't stand who are making it possible for all of this to happen. I, I also think that was a fake story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh yeah, Gilbert. What channels? Uh, uh, you know, uh, the the usual sports ones. Like yeah, right, dude. You don't watch any sports channels. <laughs> yeah, it, it just seemed appropriate. I thought that was kind of funny how that was, and it literally was like, so I watched a movie instead. The end. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> ended it with a bang. All right, um, we can get into our final thoughts. For me, I'll, I'll kick it off with that. It's it's a lot of what we've been talking about, so I don't have to harp on all this stuff again, but it, it really did just kind of bug me how there wasn't more about the Florida Atlantics. You could go as small as you want. You know, you could go to Ivy League. You could go to the Haverford Lafayette schools he was talking about. You could do group of five schools like Florida Atlantic. You could do the South Carolina Upstates. You could do New Mexico State, who just had to go independent. There are just so many different non-Power 5 versions of this that I would have found really interesting. And he only scratched the surface on those. And I just wish more time would have been dedicated to that. And I really do wish that he wouldn't have decided this is what this book is going to be and now I'm going to go set out to write it. I really wish he would have just gone in fresh and let the information take him where it did and then you know come out and say, well, here are the pros and cons of this. But it's just if he was going to do it the way he did it, I wish he would have left it open-ended for the reader where we could make up our own mind. But instead he tried to guide us through it and, and injected so much of his opinion. He was trying to steer us one way and it's like, well, here's how you should feel about this. Well, here's the problem with it. And it's just like, it was just incessant. And it, it, it just got to the point a long time ago where I was like, all right, I get it. I know. And I know exactly what you're going to say about topic, whatever, before you even say it, because I just think of the most anti-college football take you could have. And sure enough, he would just slowly flush that out over the chapter. So I don't know. I, every book that we've done, I always sit at my computer when I'm listening to the audiobook and I'm typing out notes and I'm all into it. And I can't, you know, I, I don't want to set it down. And when the reading's done, it's like, oh, man, too bad this episode's over. I don't want to get into next week's reading. But for this one, I'd be like doing chores and like vacuuming the house and making food. And just like while I had it on, just like, yeah, I don't know. I'll go to my computer and just talk about how much he hated college football. I'm not really going to miss anything. So just sort of disappointing the way it turned out. I think it, it was interesting concept, but I didn't really like his execution all that much. So Ray, do you want to get in with your final thought? Yeah, I agree with what you said there, Jake. Um, I, I think a more prudent argument investigation would have been to look into the smaller schools as well, where football doesn't make money and actually impacts the academic institutions. Focusing on the big schools where college football makes a ton of money and then actually uses that to support the other sports programs seems counterintuitive to his argument. Overall, there are a few little nuggets that he pointed out that I didn't know about that um, I thought were the most interesting aspects of the books. The, uh, the tax deduction piece where, um, you know, the, the ticket the ticket donations got, were tax deductible for both the school and the donor. 
Um, that was an interesting little tidbit, which has since been closed with the Trump Tax Act, but um, you know, at the time of the writing, was was definitely a loophole. Uh, the lengths at which some of the student, the, some of the universities go to support the student athletes, uh, the student side of the student athlete, I should say, the or- Oregon's Academic Center, Kansas's Class Checkers. Um, I guess I just kind of thought that the the universities didn't really even care if these kids actually went to class. All they cared about is them being eligible to go and, and play on Saturday. It, it seemed like some of the universities he went to actually did care that the students did what they were supposed to be doing. Um, and, and, and other than that, there wasn't much of the investigation that was earth shattering to me. Yes, Power Five college football programs make a ton of money. Yes, they spend that on the teams and the coaches. Yes, the money of football programs bring in allow universities to have other sports without a cost to the academic side. That last point is one that Gall mentions briefly in passing, but never really gives its due credit. Um, again, I, I, I think he he had an agenda when he set out and had a narrative he wanted to tell, and and he made the story fit that narrative as opposed to doing a true investigation and letting the investigation reveal the facts. Okay, Kayla, what about you for your final thought? Yeah, I agree with most of what you guys are saying, um, and we've had these final thoughts at the end of each one. So, But just to kind of focus on these uh, chapters that we read, um, toward the end of the women's rowing chapter, he says, it was disturbing how easy it was to create the narratives that didn't respect women as athletes, that minimized their sports because they didn't attract huge crowds or make money or blame them for cutting the men's sports. But, and so I don't even know why he needed to bring up title nine in this book at all. Um, it doesn't, I mean, I guess it does have a little bit to do with football and that they're able to keep their roster so large because they're offering uh, a large woman's sport, but it just, it really doesn't, I think fit in. It was almost like he was trying to get the women's activists to be on his side as well. Someone that are people that may not um, even care about this kind of stuff, but so, but I just, to that, I just, I don't even, I would be more of a women's activist and I don't even agree with what he's saying here because I mean, at some point, one of these sports has to make money. They can't all just like run at a negative. So something's got to make money to keep these athletic departments going. So that was my final thought on this chapter. Yeah, it's like he wants to kill the golden goose. Um, (laughs) Okay, well, we can get into our book recommendations. And Kayla, we'll throw it right back to you. What is your last... uh weekly book recommendation for us. Um, my last book recommendation would be The Martian. It is a great book. Um, he gets stuck on Mars and he learns how to um, grow his own plants and through his compost and all that stuff and space out meals and everything to make it back home. Um, it was It's a great book and great movie. The movie's got Matt Damon in it and it's just, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's a book we listened to on uh, a car trip to vacation, and it, it's surprising as you're listening to it and as the author is going into details about, you know, growing potatoes and whatnot, you actually think, wow, we really could just go live on Mars right now. <laughs> well, and having a science background, it was all very interesting. Uh, they, they go into great detail in the book on how everything's made and, you know, how he uses his poop and stuff as fertilizer and, and all that stuff, so... 
Yeah, I need to read that book because I, I did see the movie, but it was a few years ago now, so it's not fresh. So I, I always kind of like reading books and comparing them to when they have movies out. And I did like the movie, so uh, good recommendation there. Uh, the, for my recommendation, I, I don't I, – I there's this book. It's called 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. And I, I don't get involved. Like I, There was a political chapter we had from the Chuck Klosterman book we did, and it's not like anyone cares, but like I'm an independent, and I try as hard as I can not to vote because I can't stand any of that stuff. And this book had, was, quote-unquote, so controversial, and people just rail on this guy all the time. And I don't know a ton about him, but I just knew that this book was out there, and it's just, oh, controversy. And so I read it, and I, honest to God, it, there's nothing controversial about it at all. So I, it almost just seems like a people who say that haven't actually read it. So that's what made me decide to check it out, and I actually really like the book. So it's 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. I don't know if people hear me say that and are going to get furious, but people get really mad at anything today. But I, what I would say is just actually read the book. I, I don't know what else to say. I, there's literally nothing controversial about it. It's just, it's like, he's the author where after that New Zealand uh, massacre happened, they like pulled his books off the shelves and stuff, even though it has nothing to do. I mean, it, it, the rules are, have things to do with like stand up straight and clean your room and things like that. And it's, I don't know. I just saw it. So I had to read it to see what it was all about. And I can't for the life of me find out what's controversial about it. And I actually enjoyed the book. So I'm going to recommend it. So Ray, do you want to get into yours? Uh, yeah, my last book of recommendation is The Wolf of Wall Street by Jordan Belfort. Um, it's, I guess, an autobiography. Jordan Belfort is the the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, people may have seen the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, but it, it goes into how he got into Wall Street and, and kind of flamed out at a big-time Wall Street bank or Wall Street firm and ultimately went to penny stocks and started selling and peddling penny stocks um, and ultimately ripped off a, a bunch of people basically across the, the country on peddling these penny stocks and collecting huge commissions and, and losing people pensions and 401ks and retirement savings and um, ultimately got tracked down by the FBI. But it, it's it's an interesting read. There's a lot of shenanigans involved in the firm that he ran um it goes into some of the details on how they did things um so it it's actually the fat the fastest i've ever read a book i read it in about two days so it, it was a good book and, and the movie's pretty good too awesome okay well there's not going to be a reading assignment because we are going to be off until uh february of 2020 so that'll be it thanks so much for tuning in um, thanks to everybody who's been listening all year. And like I said, if, if you are just new to the podcast this month, and if you haven't been listening all year, we, we started in February, so you can go back into our feed and there are six other books that we've done. So there are plenty of episodes that you can find in there. And again, follow us on Twitter at America's readers, and we'll continue to put out book recommendations while we're off for the winter. And then once we get closer to 2020, we'll come out with the whole schedule and, It'll be here before you know it. So, uh, and, and listen to Ray and I with our other, with Joe, Bob, and Tony on our college football podcast. If that's what you're into, it's called the Power Five Cast. Uh, but that'll be it for us. We're going to be away doing college football stuff for the winter, much to Gilbert M. Gall's chagrin. Uh, this has been America's Readers. For Kayla Ruberg and Ray Ruberg, I'm Jacob Doyle. Until next year, take care and happy reading.